Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. So what do Jane Austen and the Roman Emperor Claudius have in common? The answer, of course, is a love of bathwater. Or, to be more precise, the mineral-rich thermal waters of the mellow city of Bath in southwest England, or, to give it its Roman name, Aquae Sulis. In Jane's day, Bath was the social capital of England, the party capital of Europe, where the dancing in the pump and assembly rooms went on by day and by night, with ambitious mothers earnestly trying to find wealthy husbands for their daughters, in a marriage market decimated by the absence of suitable young men who were all off fighting in the Napoleonic Wars. Between bouts of matchmaking, mothers, accompanied by elderly relatives, took the famous waters as a cure for cumulative ailments. Jane moved here in 1801, and this was the setting for two of her novels, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. No, she didn't find a husband, but she did enjoy the dancing. Some 1760 years earlier, the community of Aquae Sulis, here in the Quantock Hills, 115 miles west of London, had become the setting for the most important Roman bathhouse in Britain. It had a temple dedicated to the Celtic goddess Sulis and Minerva, the Roman goddess Wisdom. The Romans have long since departed from this corner of Somerset, but Jane Austen's contribution can still be found in all her romantic novels. But the bath temperature water still bubbles up through the limestone, and daily visitors from all over the world still drink this with tea in the neoclassical setting of the pump room. For a private tour of the bars after dark, lit by flaming torches, we met up with local tour guide Jess. Talking about water, a quick word here about water to go. This is a British company that produces water filter bottles that magically make water safe and odour-free. Water to go simply filters out minerals, pollutants, chemicals and even viruses. For the global traveller, water to go is an essential piece of kit. Listeners to Action Back Travel can claim a 15% discount on these bottles. When you go to the checkout on either of these two websites, watertogousa.com or watertogo.eu, just add our special code AP15 Action Pack 15 into the box marked coupon, and away you go. But enough of that. Yes, Jess. So we're standing in the pump room at the moment. This is 1790, where all of high society of Bath would gather, really, uh, for the season. They would meet people. They'd be wined and dined. And there's a statue just behind you there. Actually, this is this is a statue of Beau Nash. So he was the main uh, chief of the pump rooms, and he would uh, reign over everyone. So just before that, actually, he was in charge of everyone that was allowed in, and he was the lord of ceremonies. And they had a musician play. They still do it today at the piano. And then there's a a sort of recess, a little dais. We'd actually have a chamber music or something, yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have piano in the morning and we have a pump room trio in the afternoon. That's the cello, the violin and the piano. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's quite, it's as it was really back in those times. Nothing much has changed. No, no, exactly. So people still sit at the tables. And, and they can have the water as well, can't they, to exactly. drink? Exactly, yeah. So over here, we've got the pump water, the pump room's uh, fountain. Roman type bars and the water being pumped up. And you can actually drink there, can you? Yes, yeah. It tastes nice? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> It tastes a bit like we've got a lot of iron in the water. It's one of the main minerals. So it tastes quite metallic. And we've also got sodium chloride in there. So it's quite salty. Salty and metallic. Doesn't sound ideal. No, but it is warm. Yeah. 
A warm, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's good for you. It's healthy. And supposedly, yeah, it's good for people. Yeah, it's um, it's been used as a, a cure. We sort of say that in inverted commas for uh, many since the Roman period. Actually, people have been coming to try the waters and to swim in the baths for about two thousand years, ongoing. So it's. Does popular. it cure all illnesses? That's the plan. Apparently so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, come and, come and have a try. But, um, no, it's not the best tasting water in the world. So we'll, uh, we'll see. And then this was, of course, the place where Jane Austen used to come. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go early 1800s. This was still a very popular place to come. You should come here and the assembly rooms, which are at the top of town. I did have some of the water once. When I was at school, I came here. And I remember it wasn't that nice. And, and the fact that it's warm. It's exactly. Not yeah. It's not very refreshing. It does shock people, actually, that it, it, it's hot. The water in this fountain is about 45 degrees Celsius. So it's a little bit cooler than a cup of tea. And it gets pumped up directly from the source, which is underneath the fountain. And we'll see that later on as well when we go round it. So that's the spring. And in Roman times, that was the sacred spring. But much later, now that we're in the 1700s for the pump rooms, it was known as the King's Bath. And there's an inscription underneath the fountain there, and it says King's Spring. During the season, everyone would gather in this room, or there are, there's the assembly rooms as well. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it would be either here or the assembly rooms. They're much one and the same. They, it looks quite similar to this, the assembly rooms. It's actually a little smaller than this building. Oh. Um, the pump rooms is a bit larger and uh, they would turn up by carriage day night and they would come in and have a party and a dance something to eat and drink i read somewhere that one of the big problems was the lack of how do i put this lack of bathrooms yes yeah <laughs> probably so actually we still haven't found the roman bathrooms at all we don't know where the roman toilets are Let's but i'm thinking it. more of the more of the the, uh, the georgian bathrooms. no and much later yeah, very few no. of those around <laughs> definitely i also read that some of the Hoop skirts. Women wore cups underneath the skirt. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, sanitation back in the 18th century is not the same. It's not very acceptable to <laughs> us today. today I don't no, think. no. So, what's the website where they can, where people can go? So that's all on uh, RomanBaths.co.uk. Everything is on there. You can click on learning, and um, there's a lot of tabs open as well. So, if we go to the terrace, terrace that we're coming up to now we'll be able to look over and see the Great Bath. Okay. In the 1920s, this was where people could have something to eat and drink as well. So it was a restaurant all along here. So if we look straight over and down, people get their first glimpse of the well, Great Bath. first there. glimpse of the baths, mm -hmm. which looks like a, a large swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. By daylight, it is bright green. And this is due to the algae in the water. Okay. So uh, the algae love the minerals. They love the sunlight that they get now that the pool's open air. But in the Roman times, this would have been covered by a large roof. And so it would have been a lot darker around the Great Bath. And this means that the algae couldn't grow. So the water would have been clearer, really, back oh, to It's really very impressive with these flaming sconces all the way along on the pillars. It looks really quite dramatic. When was the last time anyone swam in it? So 1978 was the last year that anyone got in the pools and swam around. 
in the 1960s and 70s, they had Roman rendezvous, which were parties on the summer evenings, and people would pre-purchase tickets, and they would come down. There would be a band on the side playing music. People would be able to get in the pool and have a swim. Uh, People also swam in the Sacred Spring, which is our other pool. But because this is where all the water comes up, and it's 46 degrees Celsius approximately, it was too hot for people to withstand more than a couple of minutes so this large great bath here this is sitting about body temperature about 37 degrees celsius all all year round more or less and so this was the favored pool for um, people to swim in in the 20th century the romans never swam in the sacred spring that was too sacred for them they believed that's where sulis minerva lived so they wouldn't go in there that was just for worship um, so I'll take you through, um, okay. we'll go down this way next, and we'll go into the museum. Which is so where when did the Romans build this? So the Romans, we think between uh, some point in the first century, they arrived here in 43 AD, so at some point after then, but it's sometime before 76 AD, because we have a stone with this date on it. So we know that the baths were already established by 76 AD, and it would have taken a bit of time for them to build. It was quite an architectural feat, and they're doing it out of stone, so (laughs) it would have taken a bit of time. But uh, as soon as it was, it was quite popular. You know, Romans, they had bathhouses in most of the cities, so it was a popular place to come and now we're standing looking at a model of what it would have looked like when it was first established which is essentially a covering of the great bath with a wooden roof and then the various pools and hot rooms around it so it's not that much larger than the great bath area and then there was a temple just a few meters away from the bathhouse so before the romans arrived there was a tribe living here called the dubuni And that's where these coins are from. So these predate the Roman period, but they were found on site as well. So presumably people that were living here before the Romans, they could come and enjoy the pools as well. They weren't necessarily all cast out. And that's where we have some of the coins really found in the spring where people were making offerings. The Romans were here for about 350 years. So by the end of their time here, the baths had expanded we're now looking at another model yeah uh, much bigger now and we've got several temples now many more baths and many more hot sauna rooms as well Um, so it's quite a hive of activity and then the temple now has been encompassed by a wall and we've also got a tholos which is a circular uh, temple building just outside of the walls and this is now where bath abbey sits so with hundreds of people coming here every day to bathe and worship. This is uh, actually the only bathhouse in the entire Roman Empire that we know of that's attached to a temple. And the pump room was built later. Yeah. It just happens to be next door. Exactly, yeah. The pump room actually was built right on top of where the temple sits. The first pump room dates from the early 1700s. So a little bit, there was one before uh, the one we went into earlier. And so the early 1700s pump room, while they were building it, they found the front of the temple. Some of the front stones of the temple were found underneath the pump rooms when they were laying the foundations. So that people began to think then in the early 1700s, there's something Roman going on down here. Do we know if they had archaeologists at that time? They, they didn't have exactly archaeologists. They have more sort of people that were interested 
kind of amateur archaeologists, really, people that were into antiquities. And as that became more popular throughout the 17 and 1800s, they found more of the Roman pieces in other buildings around Bath. So a lot of the um, medieval wall was built out of Roman pieces. And this wasn't found until people stopped to have a look and said, oh, hey, maybe that's actually part of the Roman bath. So over the years, that's come back to us from around the site. Um, there was a corner of an altar stone that was found propping up a church not far away. Where were people living? Was there an actual town here? Yes. Yeah, there was. So from, from the bathhouse and the temple complex people would come here from far and wide so people set up a business based on the tourism that bath would receive which has gone on for the last 2000 years exactly which is still the same today really there's a small map of the town as it may have looked back in those times it wasn't as large as bath is today of course but it was the main center around the bathhouse and it fanned out from there So other Roman villas have been found in the city. Lots of coins were found as well, actually, um, about 13 years ago or so. And that's the Bow Street Hoard. So they found all of these Roman coins, thousands of Roman coins, underneath the floor of of an old Roman house that somebody presumably buried and then left. So this is not far from here. So round the corner here is the front of the temple, the main temple that I was talking about that was found underneath the pump rooms. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, we have this very striking face of what looks to be a a man. So there's several theories about who he could be. Some people think that he's um, the god Sul, and that's Celtic. And the Romans, we think it was associated with uh, their Minerva, because it's got a small owl in one of the corner Mm -hmm. pieces down there. Minerva was always associated with the owl for warfare and wisdom. We've also got a helmet as well depicted on the front of the temple so it's like a puzzle piece really to put together we're not 100 percent sure who the who the face is that's still yet to be determined but we call him the gorgon (laughs) are people still doing research into it yeah and the more we find out about the roman bars you know it may change what we know it might change a bit of the model they are uh they were excavating at the moment actually because the roman bars are building a new Uh, project for education and heritage since we are a world heritage site so that is going to extend the museum a little bit more people can see more um, of the collections that we've got and uh, a little bit larger within the site as well so all the front of the temples all the buildings that we see around the site all the stones that's all bath stone so it's really a soft oolitic limestone it's all quarried locally yes The Romans quarried it on the south side of Bath and then brought it down from there. And much later, that's where the the architects of Bath, John Wood, Ralph Allen, they also quarried the stone. The special thing about Bath stone is the way that it can be cut. So it can be cleaved quite easily into rectangular blocks, which the Romans loved. But it's quite stable, really. And we can... You know, it won't brush away. It's not like a soft as a sandstone. So it's stood the test of time in that way, to be honest. So this is part of a tombstone. We're looking at the face of a man. <laughs> He's not looking very happy. So people came here for religious worship. We're going to go underneath the pump rooms now. Okay. So it's going to get a bit humid. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> because the hot water flows underneath here. Yeah. <laughs> as they would have done 2,000 years ago, you know. <laughs> Nothing, nothing changes. 
You can hear the water flowing through the site. We'll come to the Roman drain later on. This is where all the water comes out of the sacred spring and heats our building. And it goes to the abbey and it heats their building as well. And then it flows out to the River Avon. So what we're walking on now would have originally been open air. We're about six metres below modern day street level, the pump room restaurant that we started the tour in. So back in the Roman times, people would make sacrifices on a large altar, a large table with several gods depicted around the sides. They have a different god and a goddess for everything, pretty much. And Minerva is the key goddess around here. Around here, yeah. Yeah, so the Romans took the Celtic gods um, Sul, paired it with their own goddess Minerva, and came up with Sulis Minerva, and that's who's referred to the most here in at the Roman baths on the inscriptions that we have. So you would have made a sacrifice on the altar, and then come up the steps and gone to see the sacred spring, if you were allowed to, and you know most people were escorted by a priest or a harispex. So the heat from the springs, does that heat the rest of the building? It heats a lot of the building, yeah. So most of the museum, uh, from the downstairs level, keeps nice and toasty because we have the hot water flowing through. And then the abbey started using the water as well for its new underfloor heating project. So that's been a long time in the making, actually. It took them a lot longer than they thought they the skeletons underneath the floor of the abbey. So they, when they went down, the archaeologists had to look through all of these before putting down the pipes for underfloor. But hopefully uh, that will be completed soon. So as we uh, go through the walkway here, we see the bronze head of Sulis Minerva. So this was found when they were building a sewer in Bath in 1727 in the summer. The bronze, just the head now. Um, she would have had a helmet on, on top mm-hmm. and presumably as well the body, but it's been severed off at the neck. So we don't know how it came to be destroyed exactly, but uh, luckily they were adding sanitation to the city <laughs> in the 1700s because that's where she was found by a builder. So she would have been in the temple. So not everybody coming to the Roman bars will be able to see her. So we're now coming through the corridor where you get to see the sacred spring as it was known 2,000 years ago. And as I said, the Romans not swimming in this one, just offering things to the gods and goddesses, mm-hmm. Sulis Minerva, really, that they believe was at the bottom. So we'll just stop here. So these are artifacts? Oh, yeah, are because the these, were, these were found in the spring. So these are cursed tablets. And what people would do is if they had been wronged by somebody, um, a cloak stolen, for example, while at the bathhouse, they could write on a thin tablet of lead or pewter, metal, inscribe a curse for that person, fold it up, throw it into the sacred spring and hope that Silas Minerva would seek justice for you. These are absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Left to a pair of gloves. Documedia says the thief should lose his mind and his eyes. A bit tough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit... Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, it's a, bit, it's a bit much, but that's what they did in those days. So. Really Left of a blanket, the unusual spelling maybe because the writer had dyslexia. And then in here, we've got more artefacts that were thrown into the spring. So we've got some combs, some jewellery, some brooches, bowls, candle holder. So these are all things that people clearly valued. I mean, there's a headdress here as well, show that almost looks like it's got the golden sheen yes. as well, part of a 
a headdress. So that went into the spring too. So quite a lot of things really that were all preserved underneath the floor of the sacred spring. So what happened after the Romans left was that the, the townspeople, almost like they wanted to forget about uh, the Roman takeover, they built on top of their remains. And so the site was lost for over a thousand years and then rediscovered in the late 1800s. But the townspeople after the Roman period did continue to use the water, but they weren't using any of the Roman buildings. They were using the Roman stones, as we mentioned earlier. They were recycled in churches and medieval walls. So underneath the floor that was added across the sacred spring, when they took that out in the 1980s, they found all of these remains. We can see the steam coming off of the water because Mm -hmm. it's so hot. And so the water's heated, it fell as rain about 10,000 years ago, and then it slowly percolates down to about 4,000 meters into the Earth's crust where it's naturally hot, and it picks up this heat, gets to about boiling point, and then it travels along from the Mendip. Then the water travels down from the Mendips and it hits a hard bedrock or a lias clay, and it can't travel any further at that depth. So then it starts to come up. And there's a fault underneath Bath, a fault line called the Pennyquick Fault. The water comes up through there into three places in the city. And this is the largest one of them. Yeah. So this is just over 1.1 million litres every day. It's a quarter of a million gallons coming into this pool. And the other two are underneath the Thermes Bar, which is just a few metres west of where we are now. The pool at the moment, that water is about two metres deep and it's at Roman level. And then after the Romans left, they added that floor over the top. We can see the remains of the floor around the edge, like a shelf now, and that's where it stayed. So the water was actually a bit higher. The Great Bath was the level at which the whole Roman city was. So it's going to get a bit loud here because all the water that comes out of the spring is going through a Roman drain, a Roman overflow drain. Okay, it's pretty loud. And that's down here to our right, yeah. So you can hear all the water. That's all those millions of litres. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... I don't know how good the sound is here. It's okay? Pretty good. So what we're looking at is all the water coming out of the spring. Some of the water from the spring has gone into the Great Bath. So it's not quite all of the water that's come up from the source. So this is a Roman built drain. And any extra water they didn't need would come through this way. So we can see the Roman archway as well, the the infamous um, architecture of the Romans there. And then where the water comes over the limestone rock, it's bright orange. This is the iron in the water. So the iron salts have turned the rock, um, have left an orange iron residue on top. So it's quite bright. And then it flows down underneath the museum where we take some of the heat for our building. And then it goes down to the River Avon, which is about uh, 350 meters away from where we're standing now. And it comes so that out water's just quite below. warm when it goes into the river, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I couldn't say exactly how warm I would be getting mid 20, yeah. 20 sort of 25 degrees Celsius by that point, because it's travelled a fair way. 
and some of it siphoned off to be used for the Abbey's heating project as well. And it comes out just below Pulteney Weir, if you've ever seen that one in Bath. Just below there, just under the waterline. You can see the water's a little warmer than the river. <laughs> They've got all the steam from the water there because it's, again, it's about 46 degrees Celsius. And then we're walking now really in the footsteps of the drain. And then we've got a clear floor over here to see that the water carries on its journey down through the Roman drain. And here, here it is coming out over here. And it's really gone that way for 2000 years. So most of the drain that the Romans built is quite large. And that's because if they needed to get down and repair it, somebody could. But they built it very well. They built to last, the Romans. <laughs> 2,000 years later, it looks as good as new. Mm -hmm. Then we've also got various gemstones that were found in this area. So from people's rings, these little gems would fall out. And a lot of them ended up in the drain that comes out from the Great Bath. And then all the water from the Great Bath joins that overflow drain and again it goes down to the river. We've got all different colours, beautiful, um, tiny, tiny pictures as well. So we're going to head out to the Great Bath now. So after Jane Austen, which was mm. 1801, she came to live here, I believe. After that period, during the 19th century, it was very popular in the Victorian times? Um, Bath fell a little bit into decline um, after uh, Jane Austen. Yeah, it's not so much um, a place that people would visit. They still had the hot water and the baths, but the town actually became very dark because the Industrial Revolution turned the bath stone a black colour from all the search. So it's quite a dark place, really, throughout the 19th century. It's not a good place to be. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why they wanted to see the Roman side of Bath and open it up again and see what, what was going on. Can members of the public come and see it at night? Yeah, they can. So at the moment, um, night for us is about four o'clock. <laughs> so we turn the, these are called the flares. Um, and these are not Roman, unfortunately, <laughs> probably guessed. But um, so these are turned on about 3, 3.30 when it starts to get dark. And then um, we're open until five o'clock. Um, in the week and um, six o'clock on the weekends at the moment. So winter's actually a good time to come here. Yeah, definitely. And we're a lot quieter as well. In the summer, we run late summer evenings until 10 p.m. normally. Um, and, and at this time, the flares are on during the evening as well. And that's normally July and August. So should we get, I'll show you the East Fields, which yeah. are just over here. So in the, in the first century AD... The bathing was mixed. So when the baths were first built, men and women could all bathe together. But in the second century, Emperor Hadrian, he forbade joint bathing. So they had to split everybody up. And this meant that the um, women would be on one side of the bath. They would actually be here in the east baths in the east of the city. And the men would be over in the west baths. And then we also have hot sauna rooms here. So a... A regime that would, they would have to go to when they came to the baths. So the first order of service really was the apoditarium, the changing room. They would leave all the items of clothing in there. And as we saw, 
sometimes. Some things went missing <laughs> when sometimes. Got stolen. And then they would go into the tepidarium, which was a lukewarm room to acclimatize to the temperature. They would have a massage in there with hot scented oils. And then they would come into the caldarium, and that's where we are now. And the caldarium was the hottest room at the bathhouse, the hottest sauna. And the Romans heated the floor with their underfloor heating system. So hmm. did the Romans invent underfloor heating? I would say yes, they did. I, I think, yeah, definitely. 2,000 years before we had underfloor heating. And then once you have gone through the cleaning regime with the three rooms, had the oil removed from the body, then you could go out and swim in the pools. So a little bit like before you get into the public swimming pool today, you've got to shower before you sure. go. Yeah, the Romans were doing that as well. So they were they were really big on cleaning. The Great Bath is about five foot deep, about a metre and a half. So it's actually not as deep as some people think. Um, that's the question that we get asked the most, I would say. <laughs> How deep is it? No diving. Uh, no, <laughs> no. And then at the bottom, we have the original Roman lead lining that they put down to waterproof the bath. We drain the bath to clean it about four times a year and check the condition of the stone steps leading down in on all sides, check the condition of that lead, and also just to um, flow through some of the algae, the algae buildup that we get these days as well, that of course they wouldn't ha have had in the Roman times. So out here would be a hive of activity in the Roman times. And then here in front of us is the inlet channel where the water comes from the sacred spring or the king's bath into the great bath it says do not touch the water is that because it's very hot it's again because it's not really it's not treated so um with the water um you know yeah the risk is just bacteria and anything that might survive in the human body really but it's not i mean i we encourage people to hold their hand above the water because you can feel the temperature even then sure. and um this water here is sitting at about 45 degrees Celsius. Yeah. So not boiling. Hotter than Hot. a bath, though, I would say. Hotter than a bath or a shower. <laughs> so we'll go up now. This is the last part. And this is where you get one last glimpse at the sacred spring through Roman archways. So the Roman arch is now at like little windows that you can peer through and have a look at the spring a bit closer than what we previously have so you can see the rings i mentioned earlier yes indeed they're donated mostly in the early 1700s by people that were cured by the waters so by grateful bathers they're, they're made out of bronze and they usually have an inscription on them to thank the waters and then people could hold on to them if they were submerging themselves and they were having difficulty swimming then you could just hang on to a ring there there are also archways, little alcoves around the bath as well. So you could sit in those until the water healed you. But because it's so hot, um, a couple of minutes in here, you're going to feel pretty you're faint. You're very yeah. warm indeed. So what's the temperature of that now? <laughs> About 46 degrees That's Celsius. Yeah. There's a long history of people coming to worship this spring and after the Romans left using the water to swim in. And so this is why bath is called bath, not because of the great bath. Jess, thanks very much indeed for appearing on the show. And we hope that the guests will return in 2021 and Bath will continue its 2,000-year history. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. 
You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. And by the way, we'd just like to mention that if you take up our special offer to buy water-to-go bottles, we do earn a small commission. This helps with the production costs of the podcast. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you, you are me. It's just a crazy storm.